Hello, my name is James Pikeway, and welcome to Catching Up. Catching Up is a podcast where I literally catch up with interesting people that I've not spoken with in a while. We talk about their careers, current events, issues, and even what motivates them. We have a good old chat, we catch up. In this episode, I catch up with Maha Ahlawi, a creative innovator, a multidisciplinarian who loves to look at the big picture and explore the intersections of design, business, social innovation, and even more. Welcome to our conversation. Do you remember when we first met? Creative Mornings. 2018. Yeah, it was way back. Uh, and right? uh, Rhonda says, I got this person, you're going to love meeting her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all she says, creative, Saudi, she's going to be great. And I'm going, uh-huh. And I'm going, oh. New York sounds like a headache. I'm just going, well, you know, it's all the stereotypes coming, right? Yeah. And I'm just going, okay, well, let's see. And then you rock up and it's like a whole different story. You're like, wait, she's not Saudi. <laughs> well, that's the first thing I'm going, I'm, like I'm expecting, mm. you know, full abaya, the full, the full deal. And no, that didn't happen. And then the stories start and then I'm going, okay. This is getting interesting. <laughs> yeah. 2018, December. Yeah, it was in the nest. And time flies. I, I mean, so in that time, I mean, A, you've been coming to a lot of creative mornings, but... I love them. I've been following all the stuff you've been doing, and you've really done... Your, your path has really kind of changed. And when you kind of yeah. look at it, it's sort of all doing the same stuff, but creativity, innovation, change management. Yeah. When someone talks to you and you start talking to them... And once you get past all of the, okay, this and that, how do you describe what you do? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always joke and I say, yeah, it's that stuff that no one understands, right? Yeah. But, 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 but really? <laughs> essentially, it's problem solving. Okay. Right? Um, at the core of it, it's creative problem solving. There's a lot of connecting the dots. So there's a lot of getting to know who's who in the organization understanding what they're really passionate about and what they're doing and kind of getting them to join as a community. So part of it is, you know, informal community creation. Mm. And that's a lot of what I'm doing right now at work as well. Yesterday we had like a internal sustainability morning because now my new hat is sustainability. <laughs> did I tell you that? Yeah. Well, so yeah. How, how did that change come up? Because you were at EY. Mm -hmm. You were, before that, you were somewhere else. Yeah, before that I was a freelancer. Right, so you're freelancing. Yeah, and I had worked in a few agencies in Saudi, but that was purely brand strategy and creative work. And then you're one hundred percent. Then you end up at EY, which you know, at the core they're accountants, but they're also change management and other things. Yeah, but the team that I joined was actually a service design and okay. a creative team because they had made an acquisition called EY Saren, and I joined under that team. So I was still technically a creative under the company. But then um, I kind of realized that when you have a huge company like that acquiring these smaller creative firms, they don't always have a plan on how to help them grow, uh. you know. So it was kind of a glass ceiling. So I started learning other things in order to create my own space in the company. And uh, that's when I joined the innovation team. So I, mo I moved from the, the service design team onto innovation. And that's where more of the strategy work started coming in. 
because then we had to kind of understand how the companies put together. It was good because I got a bird's eye view, really, of how the company was put together globally. Mm. And uh, and what did you learn? Well, <laughs> I, I learned that like I had been working in one team for one and a half years without really understanding how the company worked. I mean, isn't right? that, it's crazy though. Like we it, were so siloed. It was it was. Yeah, we were like in our little tunnel, digging our little trenches, you know, yeah. working on our projects, focused on the clients, but not really knowing how the operations happened overall. I think so many companies are like that. I mean, it's, it's amazing. We, we talk, but I'm not sure we're really doing. Well, there, look, in, in all fairness, there's always comms going out, helping people try to understand the overall vision and strategy and purpose of the company. Either people are too busy, too stressed out, uninterested, to join these calls and understand. Um, and I think also the content is so dry because I've joined some of them, you know? And I just zone out. It's really hard to focus because there isn't any passion attached to it when you're explaining it, right? Yeah. So a lot of times when these videos are showing or you have these, I don't know, global calls talking about, oh, our new strategy is this, this, this. I don't know, at least for me, because essentially deep down I'm still a creative, it's really easy for me to tune it out and start playing with my phone and doing something else. <laughs> and then full honesty. Yeah, let's, walk, let's walk over here. Yeah, sure. So, um, but back to how my sustainability hat got added on. It's really simple, actually. I proposed it. You proposed it? Yeah. Um, so, so when I was going through the interviews for my new job now, my current one, I basically was talking to the CEO and I was like, I don't, I, was, I asked him to show me like their, how the company was put together, which is something I've never done before. And what was your reaction? Because here you are, you know, somebody's coming in They're they're again, they're looking at you, they're looking at the hat, they're seeing this creative and you're starting to ask questions. Yeah, I mean, was he response? was happy. He literally just jumped up to the whiteboard <laughs> with a marker yeah. and started drawing out like where everyone kind of lies and how the company is put together, which was really useful. And I was just like, well, I don't, I don't see like you have anyone holding sustainability here in Mina. And he was just like, um, well, we believe it's kind of infused in everything. I was like, yeah, yeah. but you need someone to, to kind of be the champion of that. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I don't believe innovation really exists anymore. There's no point of innovating without, without having a sustainability framework in place or mindset. It's, it's just like useless because that means you're it's missing a, the it's point. It's a buzzword. It's a buzzword. Yeah. 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 And, and, and just like if you're coming up with new ideas, they need to be sustainable. You need to keep in mind whether it's people, the planet, or prosperity. Yeah. You have to keep all those metrics in mind. So then why not merge them under one, right? Yeah. And that's essentially why, why I proposed that. And he was happy to like give me two jobs in one instead of paying two people to do it, right? <laughs> sure, it's like a bonus. Yeah, right? You're asking questions. He's, he's going, I don't have to hire someone else. And yeah. But was he really... Was he, did he really engage with it? Did he really believe it? Or was it just like, hey, you know what, I'm going to placate you a little bit here and we'll see. Mm, I think he's more like, if you can pull it off, great. Okay. You know? And if you don't, we haven't lost anything. If you don't, we have a huge um, framework globally in place. There's yeah. just not really much. Basically, what they, they kind of bring it in from the outside, but it's not homegrown. Right. Right. Okay. Um, but I wanted to do more things that were locally driven, more homegrown. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think initially, I don't know what his expectations were when he met me, but our first hour and a half, 
did not involve any conversations about work. That's excellent. <laughs> yeah. Good, but that's the way it should be, right? Yeah. Because isn't that the biggest issue that people talk about with their work-life environment is you get to work and it's all work. And we become these work people without any reference outside of the walls of our job. Yeah, and I think also if you're interviewing someone, it's important to understand who they are as a person. Yeah. What are their... And I, in hindsight, when I think about their, his, <laughs> his questions, it was more around understanding if I had critical thinking. Okay. Right? What okay. were my opinions on certain current, uh, you know, political topics around the world or, or ongoing topics? What, do I read the news, you know? Obviously not as clearly as saying that, but his questions were prompting in that direction to understand just what kind of a human being am I, yeah. you know? Am I just focused on, on the, let's say, the uh, um, theoretical part of work without really understanding the application of it in real life or the implications even in real life? Or am I more well-rounded? Yeah. You know, and I'm not tuning my own horn over here, but I think it was, I think, I, I think he was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> 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 but yeah it was it was it's interesting because i mean for me that's a learning experience because if i'm ever in his position yeah and i'm hiring people yeah i want to make it a point to first understand who they are as people before i understand whether you know they know their work or not because that's really how you interact with your team on a daily basis so where's that led you to now so right now i'm hitting um impact sorry uh, innovation sustainability and impact at wipro um across mina we're focused right now here in dubai but i think it's only been two months yeah. so we're going to start expanding our activities um i want to let's jump jump back for a second yeah when we talk about sustainability yeah the way we talk and, and you mentioned this that we we talk about sustainability in an unsustainable manner Mm. We talk about sustainability typically as just a, with a magnifying glass, jump in, we're going to do this, but we don't actually talk about the sustainability of our sustainability actions. Are, you're now coming in with that mindset. Do you see challenges? Of course. <laughs> but, but look, in all honesty, I'm, I'm nowhere near an expert. I'm still learning. Yeah. And, I, and I picked this hat for myself, even though the experience that I have is extremely limited because I want to force myself outside my comfort zone and learn. Um, but which, which is something you always do, you know, from, from in your design work, in your book writing work, which yeah. we'll talk about, your children's book that yeah. you illustrated and wrote. We'll talk about that. Charge a book fair. You're there. I mean, this is, yeah. this is you. This yeah. is Ma. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, when am I doing this? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean... I th but also, again, I, I think at some level, I can see not just where the trend is going, but really where the change is going, yeah. you know? Okay. And, and again, like... Do people want it? Like when you, when you sit down with yeah. your colleagues, yeah, they want it. They're tired, of the, they're tired of the same old, same old path. Let's do. Yeah, and, and I think more and more, and when this maybe goes back to one of the reasons why a lot of companies are struggling with retention more and more people care about aligning themselves with a sense of purpose. It's really hard to go to the office every day, yeah. work on spreadsheets, if you're not thinking, okay, I know that this in the end is going to go someplace great. You know, you, there needs to be 
at least a higher purpose on understanding. For some people, their higher purpose is, oh, I'm going to put food on the table for my kids. Fair enough. Honestly, that's a great higher purpose. But for others, that's not enough, you know, and they need to feel like they're giving something back to the world or to the environment. Um, and I think that's where having a really good sustainability agenda falls in. It's not just good for the planet. It's good for our psyche as people, especially with the way we have started forming lives today. You know, you, you, I love this, this point that you've touched on because I'm talking with colleagues yesterday and as we talk about sustainability and organizations and where we fit in, we had the exact same conversation that where I am, for instance, we were talking about our own careers, where I am on my careers were diff way different where my colleague was. And because of that, way, her expectations and her needs from a sustainable workplace were very different than mine. Mm. And when you start putting those together, it makes magic. Well, the whole part of sustainability is also diversity and inclusion. And, you know, how do you apply that? Is that yeah. diversity just in ethnic backgrounds? Or is it diversity in needs? Diversity in, in uh, <laughs> ways of work? <laughs> and I think right? you take that word diversity and we look at a very narrow band of it. Yes, yes. And and even even in education itself, like if, if I were to say just the way kids learn. Yeah. You know, everybody learns differently and some people are more audio related and some are more visual and some need physical activity. And, you know, I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like especially with younger kids, there's there's I think there's a movement, hopefully, maybe it's fringe right now. Hopefully one day it'll be mainstream around accommodating different ways of learning into a curriculum. But we've gone way off topic at this point. No, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> How does your extracurricular activity? And I don't. I'm not sure, so sure that's that's doing it justice. And it, uh, I think hustle. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's the right word because because I I don't think it's an extracurricular activity. But you're you're a children's book writer and illustrator as well. Like you've written children's book, and this is a, a piece of your passion. How does that fit into how you define yourself and how people see you? People are multifaceted, right? Yeah. Every, and, I, and, and again, I, we don't want to, We don't want to say that, right? It's like well, I can't be multifaceted. You are the writer. You are the designer. You are the innovator. I you think are. at this point, everyone is multifaceted. <laughs> Renaissance men and women. You know, we used to think they're only in the Renaissance, but in real life, we're still all Renaissance people. And everybody has. Uh, there's a really good book called uh, Culture and Identity. Okay. And it talks about this from a, from how political rhetoric uses putting people in boxes with one label as a way to divide people, right? But it applies to everything, really. If you're conscious of looking at people and thinking, you know, this person has so much beyond what I can see yeah. that I will maybe never know about, right? But so for my books... It was really, like, I call them my pandemic babies. It was a passion project. Okay. <laughs> People so, had real kids. I had three books, triplets. <laughs> and um, I think it was something in me that I always wanted to do. Uh, it was, I don't think it was ever for the case of having a career as an author. Um, it was more just like, I love the whimsical nature of children's books. Okay. And especially the ones that pass on something really meaningful in them. And thankfully, there's a rise in that with, when it comes to Arabic books. But here's the thing. My books are on Arabic. 
And the reason why I did that was because even though there's a rise in Arabic children's book content, it's still very limited compared to what you see in other languages. And Arabic speakers are a huge chunk of the world. It's not a it's not an inconsiderable number. So this disparity um, I find a bit sad, but also again when you look around, kids are having a much harder time than my generation did in speaking not only speaking Arabic but also learning Arabic when it comes to you know Fusha, which is classical Arabic. Yeah and whatever dialect their family will speak are, right? are your are your children's books written in a saudi dialect or no they're classical okay i believe that classical should be the language of reading and writing um, i'm a firm believer in that it might be a little there's a lot of people who are trying to push for breaking it down into different dialects even in writing but there's a whole grammatical structure mm. to arabic that is very mathematical it makes sense actually. Um, whereas if you start applying it to dialects, the grammar kind of breaks down. Um, there isn't really, sometimes even between friends and family, there isn't a right or wrong way to say something. So it, the, it, get, it just gets a lot more grayer, the longs are blurry. If somebody wants to step up and kind of create <laughs> grammatical structures for their dialect, fair enough. But at the same time, I think it'll really Mm. disconnect us yeah. as a people mm. and I think the Arabic language is probably the only thing right now that really keeps the Arabs um, more united not more united just as an identity it's, it's an identity connected. It's, it's connected yeah it's an identity thing we're the right? same we're, we're all what we're yeah we're, yeah. yeah if everyone spoke French right if, if yeah. you, you have the ex-French colonies they all still speak mm-hmm. French, so there is an identity where they still identify with France. Yeah. The, same ha- the same happens for, you know, uh, Canada, Australia, and the UK, and other Commonwealth countries. So language is a huge unifier when you can actually communicate with each other. So that's one of the reasons why I kept it in Fusha. Um, one of the discussions I had actually with another children's book author and publisher was kind of, why are kids? We didn't, I don't remember having the struggle with Fusha the way children are right now. And the realization that she had reached was that we were exposed to classical Arabic from a young age because we used to watch a lot of Arabic cartoons, well, Japanese anime that were dubbed okay. into classical Arabic, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was really good. At least they were doing it. <laughs> yeah. And, and these things were dubbed into, I think they were done in, prob- I think, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon. And they had taken these huge amounts of children's cartoons that were made in Japan, had them all dubbed in classical Arabic. And this was like part of the basic programming you would see on regular like national TV, you know, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. was children's cartoons. And they were all in classical Arabic. So even before you ever went to preschool, you were already exposed to the language. And... Never underestimate, I think, the power of simple exposure, just listening and getting used to the words. Whereas right now, because we select what we want to watch, unless it's a conscious decision to start playing cartoons in classical Arabic for your children from age zero, 
um, they're not exposed and suddenly they're in kindergarten or first grade and it's the first time they're learning this new language right. and it's much harder than mm -hmm. even though there's the neuroplasticity is still there and they can learn it but again technically classical arabic and whatever dialect you speak are almost like two different languages yeah you know mm. so you're bringing up your child trilingual if you're speaking another a third language at home which is normally English, right? Most kids here, especially in the UAE, will go to school with an English curriculum. So um, it's, not, it's not impossible. Many kids grow up trilingual. It's yeah. just a conscious choice. Mm. You did the three books mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Yeah. Back at work. Illustrated them on my <laughs> iPad. <laughs> Illustrated them on your iPad. Use the tools at hand. Yeah. More to come. And where this is leading is this is, this is a big part of your life. Mm. But you got this other part of your life too. How 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 are you balancing them? How are you Not bringing very them? Well. <laughs> and <laughs> no, I mean, honesty. this is this is my thing, right? And this is, you know, this is this is the dilemma. I'm hoping to to get a hint from you. And I think so many of us are, have this challenge: is that we wear these multiple hats, and in, and we we almost have to take one off and put one on. How can we keep them going? How can we make them just part of what we do, so that we can flop in and out of them and keep doing them as opposed to, okay, today I'm a writer. Mm. Tomorrow I'm back to doing my day job as a sustainability innovator. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to go back to writing. It's something that it's, it's, it's that switch that I find so hard. So for me, when I wrote and illustrated my books, I had actually, I was actually on vacation Okay. and I had so blocked you time. You were in a different space. You blocked I had, time. Yeah, I had blocked time. I was uh, every morning before, I was actually in the States at the time, so I'd wake up before anyone else did. I was at my mom's house. Um, I'd wake up like at 8 a.m. Normally everybody, or 7 a.m., everybody else would wake up around 9, 10. And i just do the work at that time. Because for me, I'm a morning person. Okay. Which hence, is why we're meeting why right now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I do my best um, clarity, focus work without without letting the world in or distracting me at that time. And that's when I was just the daily practice of doing that. So right now, I mean, I have a few ideas for other books in mind. I'm not sure I want to do them yet, just because in full honesty, like I'm still working on understanding the whole publishing and distribution world and and like marketing and things like that, which are not things that are really my strength because it takes a lot of time and energy. And for me, I'd rather just delegate it. Yeah. So I'm kind of on the bench about, you know, do I hire someone to do my marketing? Is it enough what I've been doing? Um, you know, how hard and big do I want to push this? Do I want to, do I want to just let them, you know, do their thing and <laughs> yeah. create their own traction? Or am yeah. I neglecting them by not, you know, trying to push them enough in a world where everybody's always using social media to constantly remind people well, that their products exist. It's the challenge of the creative and you're creating, you've brought to life these products and now you've got to put the business into them. Yeah. And again, it's a whole different hat. Yeah. And, and my best answer to that is hire someone to do it. Yeah. <laughs> hire you know? someone who that's their hat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and consider it an investment into your future, into your products. If that is, you know, where you want to go. Yeah. 
Um, if you're like, no, I just did it for the sake of it existing and, you know, whatever happens is great, then that's also, but it needs to be a conscious choice. Yeah. Um, yeah, and for me, I'm, I'm still kind of deciding, do I want to invest more into these or am I going to let them, you know, kind of exist yeah. and, and see what like happens? This a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's, it's figuring out where to let go, yeah, where to hold on. Yeah, what your priorities are. Yeah. yeah. And what you want to keep doing. And, and I think it's that, it's that middle ground that becomes the big challenge. Because it gets frustrating and it gets, you start questioning everything. And I think it gets in the way of doing that, doing that creative work. Yeah. And, and honestly, I've hired a, a coach to help me with that too. Okay. So I meet with someone like every two weeks and we sit and we talk about like, you know, what am I struggling with? What are my priorities? Like try to get some clarity on what I'm unclear about. And I've used coaches on and off for the past, I don't know and therapists, everything I can actually put my hands on <laughs> for the past, at this point, like 15 years, like you know? There's so many people who, when they would hear that, they go, oh no, you can't do it. What, what turned you on to the world of, hey, I need someone to help me process my ideas? My parents. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I started when I was like 23. Why? What, um, what, was, the, what was the catalyst? I was going through a, a really hard time. You don't mind me asking. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a secret, but I was going through a really hard time. Um, there was a lot of, like, self-esteem issues. Uh, it was just, like, and my parents could tell that I was struggling. I was, you know, not going. I wasn't my, I'm, I've always been a social person. I was not going out. I wasn't seeing people. And I think they tried to kind of reach out and talk to me, and they didn't really re get anywhere. So, um there were also like some problems in my family as well at the time. So there was kind of like a family okay. <laughs> drama happening. Yeah. And um, so something else start, was the catalyst. It was, there was it's something, you know, part of your life, but not really related to all this that sort of got going, hey, something's got to give. Yeah. And it wasn't even my idea. My parents and we were in Saudi at the time and my parents managed to find a really good therapist, not a psychiatrist who would prescribe pills, yeah. but actually somebody who would sit with me and help me kind of process my emotions, understand, you know, um, why it was that I was feeling whatever it is that I was feeling at the time and kind of give me some actionable steps as to how to get out of it. And that really helped. Um, so that was kind of like six weeks of therapy. And I managed to, even from there, it's interesting because sometimes a lot of people, I think they don't give therapy or coaching or whatever, a long enough chance. Right. Because you're not going to get results from the first session, right? <laughs> and I think that's what we everyone thinks. Oh, I, I put some money in here. I need results. If it doesn't happen, one, two sessions, yeah, what's yeah. the point? And even I, before I commit to like a new therapist or before I commit to like a new package, I'm always like, ooh, that's painful. You know? <laughs> I look at the prices and I'm like... And then, and then I think back at like... I'm like, really, can I put a price on my mental and emotional health? There you go. Right? So then, you know, I, I'm just like, you know what? And then I, I, what I do is I'm like, okay, so I'm going to be doing this for six months. And if I break over the price over, you know, these six months per session, it seems <laughs> a lot more manageable. You know, yeah. so like basic economics where I kind yeah. of, you know, <laughs> instead of just thinking of the lump sum up front. And, and, and in a lot of companies right now, they actually cover 
a certain amount of therapy sessions per year. So why not take advantage of that, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of people, I think they don't stick to it long enough. So therefore, and for me, even in, in that first instance where I did therapy, my, I would say I finished my six sessions without really any hard decisions or internal shift or, or actions that I was going to take, you know? Mm-hmm. It was just kind of like, okay, you know, six sessions done. Um, how do you feel? You know, I'm like, I have some things <laughs> that I'm still thinking about, but I understand, like, I understand, I had a better understanding of the way my emotions were mapped out and why it was that I was feeling and why, why was it that I was struggling with things the way I was. And it took another, like, two, three weeks for things to kind of simmer and percolate in my mind and then something clicked into place. Right? So even uh, magic after, moment happened. It, I can't, yeah. You kind of gave it. I always say to my students in, in, in the, the situation, but some of what I teach involves them, they have to, they have to give up, in a sense, give in. Yes. And, surrender. But they, they're fighting, they're fighting, fighting. And until they surrender and realize, yeah. hey, you know what? There's something there. Until that happens... It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. And I do that even when I'm trying to convince like a family member, my husband of something, right? I call it, I plant the seed. Yeah. I make a suggestion and I walk away. <laughs> I don't need you to change your mind right now. Right? Yeah. Think about it. And, and it's a really good way to understand that a lot of times, especially if you're asking for something big, people need time to process things, yeah. you know? Yeah. And we all do. It's normal. And people have different timelines of how they need to process things. So... If they, if it takes them a while to kind of come around, and maybe it's never, who cares? But still, and again, it goes back to this whole idea of resistance and surrender. How willing are we to surrender to change, um, to that shift? And it's, and for me, like it was this, this very quiet shift. It wasn't like a big aha moment. Mm. It's just like suddenly I felt differently. You know, one yeah. day I woke up. You can't put words on it. You just feel. You're yeah. Just. One day I woke up and I felt differently and it felt great, you know, and I knew, and I knew, I was like, huh, like something, <laughs> I don't know, fermented, sprouted, I don't know what kind of process happened, you know, yeah. um, and it was really amazing. But, you know, interestingly enough, when you bring up the topic of surrender, the, the first thing that came to mind is that literally that is the definition of the word Islam, right? Ah, that's right. It's surrender. So do you, like, it's, it's all about maybe, you know, not using resistance or whatever it is that you want to call it, but like surrendering to a greater power, surrendering to, you know, yeah. the process, whatever it is. And um, it kind of, that, that's what it reminded me of is that when, when you said, you know, you need to surrender to a concept or to an idea or to change, yeah. it's kind of like accepting things and realizing that, you know, this is how it is and this is how you work with it and that's fine. Do, do you think this coaching and th- th- these conversations you've been having over the last 15 years have really helped you manage your life and career changes and the career trajectory you've gone on, which... Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No questions. Definitely. Um, and I'm also really lucky cause, cause, because my husband's really good also at, you know, giving me advice and, and uh, mentoring me in other areas as well. So, like, he's really good. His strength is really with 
you know, negotiation and understanding people and all that stuff. So whenever I'm up for a tough negotiation, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, listen, what's the game plan? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Isn't that part of our challenge we face in, in you know, post-pandemic, but even just modernizing society is we don't talk enough and we don't ask for enough help from people. We, we you know, in a sense, scared, whether we articulate it or not, scared that, by asking for this help, by demonstrating that there are areas that we have weaknesses that we're exposing a vulnerability that might be weaponized against us. Do you, do you think that's part of our minds? I put a lot in there. I, I don't think it's pandemic related. I think maybe, I think maybe the, the stress that a lot of people went through during the pandemic has uncovered previous habits and maybe limiting beliefs mm -hmm. that have existed before, yeah. but we're covering up pretty well. Um, I think maybe we've kind of reached a time right now where, where it's harder to, you know, put up the corporate face and, and, and also there's been a lot of changes even in, in the way corporate culture is right now and vulnerability is a lot more accepted. But I think if you were raised <laughs> with a certain mentality, yeah. right? If you're raised not to show weakness, especially for men, by the way, I'm so glad I'm not a man. No offense or anything, right? But but when when historically, when you look at the culture of how men were raised, honestly, like it was really unfair to not be able to voice your vulnerability, vulner, vulnerabilities, your fears. You know, there's a lot of like posturing going on, and it's just. It's, 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 not, it's something I'm so glad I don't have to go through. <laughs> you know, that being said, some women feel like they need to compete it that way in their workforce. Yeah. Um, I see that a lot. Yeah. I see that a lot. Yeah. And sometimes you need to be assertive, but there's a difference between assertive, being assertive in your feminine power. Right. Yeah. Versus trying to be assertive in a, in some, in, in, in a masculine power that maybe mm. doesn't suit you or harms you. Yeah. in the long run you know because yeah, yeah. whatever we whatever energies we decide to adapt whatever uh personas we decide to take on practice it long enough neuroplasticity <laughs> yeah. becomes part of you ah, okay right yeah. so fake it till you make it is not a <laughs> is, is not really <laughs> untrue <laughs> you know yeah so it, you know if i'm going to be taking on a certain behavior at work that is maybe against my nature yet sometimes i need to learn how to be more assertive or stand up for myself or set my boundaries but i don't have to do it in a way that crosses into other people's boundaries <laughs> right right yeah. i don't have to do it in a way that hurts them i can be very simply say no that doesn't work for me mm. you know mm. without telling somebody oh you're this or you're that or you know no there's no need so i think it really depends on the culture that you're You've been brought up in whether it, and that's why i i think that coaching or therapy you can't it doesn't make sense to go only for professional coaching you need it's related to who you are as a human being because you can't separate the two you can't yeah. you can't and by the way you will see the same struggles you deal with at work probably are married <laughs> in your personal life yeah you know yeah um so it's more about what kind of skill do you need to learn because these are the opportunities that are coming up that are trying to force you to learn them. Right. Hmm. Interesting. There's a big elephant in the room today. If you're watching the news, if you're 
doing anything on a computer. Okay. It's two letters AI. AI. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that coming. <laughs> Where's this fitting in your world? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Look, um, I understand. I understand that pe- like with any change comes fear, right? Yeah. Because it's fear of the unknown. Question is. I know, but I just want to preface yeah. this again. You love it. That's what you said. You love it. Innovator, sustainable thinker, designer, writer, author, publisher. You love AI. Yeah. I mean, I love the potential, the good potential. Yeah. Okay. Right? That's I, what everyone's saying. There's good and there's, 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 yeah. A, a, but that's the world, right? It's humans. Yeah. Anyone can use anything negatively. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I recognize that that there needs to be proper, um, let's say, precautions to accommodate for human beings. The problem is not AI. Yeah. <laughs> AI is not going to decide of its own to take over the world, okay? Somebody's going to come out and is going to say, hey, AI, how do we take over the world, right? And that's going <laughs> yeah. to be the, the issuing order, so to speak. So... It's, get, it's us getting it straight. Yeah. What, what do you like about it? What, what's exciting you about AI opportunities from what you're seeing and what you're using? Well, let's say from, uh, from a text image perspective, from an artistic perspective. Um, if you see just what people were saying a few years ago about when, when Photoshop came out, you know, is digital art really art? Right. Do you have to be a painter? You know, and, and pretty quickly we've accepted digital art as a genre of painting. And I think AI art is, or, or is, sorry, as a genre of art. And I think AI art is also going to be a genre of art. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean that painters are not going to be appreciated. It doesn't mean that digital artists are not going to be appreciated. It just means that the people who come up with the words, I think what it is right now is that wordsmiths right. can become artists mm. right mm. and they can put yeah if you can write can, the right prompt you can make mid-journey do amazing things exactly and mm. it's all about if you can write the right <laughs> prompt yeah so again there is a there there is still a creator that is not ai in this yeah. area well look i have a photographer friend who uses mid-journey and ai know and you know uh, the faces of the unknown beautiful richard kaywood yeah i show but, his work to everyone i know i'm just like can you believe this is not a real person so the, this there's two pieces of secret sauce in what he does one mm. of the pieces of secret sauce is every one of those images he does throw into photoshop and just maybe play with the backgrounds or do things mm-hmm. and over the last six months that he just sits there and he's like wow can you believe but the prompts that he's using to create those only a professional photographer would yeah. know how to use i mean we're talking down to the lens type the film he wants it on f-stops if exactly if you're not the artist, you yes. can't make it do that. And I think that, to just me, that's... painting with words. Yeah. And I think, just think that's amazing. Yeah. And, th- and that's why, like, for me... So, so, let's, so we have the, the text image, right? We have yeah. that on the side. And then we're looking into the bigger AI right now. It's things like chat, GPT. Um, I know for academia, it's a big problem, right? Because some places have embraced it and some have fully rejected it as, you know, a plagiarism method. Um, it, it, you know, the, the problem for academia is we're, we're too tied to the old way. And I think academics 
should be the opposite. Oh, I think they're scared because it means they're going to have to change the way they assess mm -hmm. and teach. For me, I kind of see it taking education back to where it's supposed to be, having a conversation, talking through ideas. Yeah. And I, I think it's I think it's phenomenal. I'm, yeah. I'm really, really. And like, like at the end of the day, the amount of AI tools that have existed in what we do anyway, whether it be Grammarly or Google's exactly. predictive, it's always it's been, been there, there anyway. for ages. It just hasn't been so adept at writing stuff, but you know, so it means we have to change. And I, that's the problem with academia and that's the world we're going to. Yeah. And, and but here's the thing, there's, there's, I think he was an economist some point in, in history. I'm really bad with retaining the, that type of information, but basically he made this hypothesis and he thought that at this time, I think it was at the turn of like the industrial revolution, if I'm not wrong, but he, he basically hypothesized that by in the future, at around our time, right? Yeah. He imagined that people would be pretty much working a lot less because yeah. everything's been automated and would be making, generating money off, I guess, the bots that they own, so to speak, or, you know, universal income or some other method. But basically that, that you could work a lot less hours in a week because there isn't that much to be done anymore. Right. And then when they kind of revisited his work in more recent times, they realized that there was a huge growth in middle management mm -hmm. that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. So we've basically just created all these layers of managers, yeah. managing people, yeah. <laughs> you know, managing people, managing other people in order to create jobs. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I think there needs to be while there's value in what everyone does, realistically speaking, people don't work more than four or five hours a day. Right? Exactly, exactly. Now that I'm wearing two hats, I'm actually working a full eight hours a day. It's driving me nuts, but, but okay, in theory, yeah. the four-day work week should be an easy thing to do. It should be a no-brainer. Yeah. Um, and back to what you were saying about the, the fear of showing vulnerability or even the fear of, of saying you need help, there's also a fear of saying we don't need to be working yeah. five days a week. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole or some culture is six, seven days yeah. a week. The whole yeah. system's built on it. Yeah. It's predicated on it. Yes. But then, then the system needs to be rethought. Yeah. It needs to be redesigned. And and why not? Why shouldn't <laughs> people be able to take more leisure time and yeah. enjoy their life and maybe retire later because, hey, they're enjoying their lives and their careers and therefore they can work longer, yeah. you know? But, but my per hour productivity, especially with tools <laughs> like AI now, okay, yeah. is, is going to skyrocket. Yeah. Well, so I, then I, why should I create more work to squeeze into those hours? Even just what I'm doing, the, the quality of descriptions, the quality of, of things I'm generating from this content, I didn't do. Yeah. I wasn't doing it, yeah. and now I'm doing it because AI is here to is streamlining it for me, mm -hmm. making it possible. And the the irony is, because of the AI assistance, I'm actually doing more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like I'm not doing less. My wife said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I'm just assembling." Mm -hmm. And she's going, "You're putting more time into this than you used to put in." And this is what the research is showing. Yeah. But the quality's way better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just going. I've I've augmented my quality through a little help. I've yeah. got an intern working for me now. Yeah. And it's called ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs>
exactly. <laughs> exactly. We've even like used it to create or to find the perfect banana bread recipe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Now, if you don't understand baking and you don't understand some of the basic things, you, you could get led astray. So you still have to understand, you have to have common sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, and you need to edit what it, like what, yeah. what you get, the content they get. I've used it at work. And I've kind of used it to kind of like give me the bones of something, right. you know? Yeah. And then I'll edit and kind of add in yeah. the meat, you know? So yeah. instead it's of great me, at that. Yeah, yeah. It's very good at that. Like, like, let's look at the structure. What's the best structure for X, Y, Z? Okay, I got that. And now I already have the information and the content. I'm just yeah. dumping it in there. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this is, it's, it, it saved you an hour of your life. And it, it saves you, as, as my one son says, who works in the music industry, it saves you the BS work. Exactly. <laughs> the grunt work. Yeah, the grunt yeah. work. It's just... The thing nobody wants to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. So that's why, that's why I love it, right? Yeah. But again, I recognize there are people out there who might want to, <laughs> I don't know, do something highly illegal or yeah. highly unethical. Yeah. And uh, like any thing on the planet and it goes even to if you go back to basic internet right yeah you have dark web yeah it's all there and you have all tons all kinds of illegal things happening horrible horrible things happening there and even on the even on the green web there's so much terrible stuff on there yeah yeah so so it's really about again it's a tool yeah. and it and it is modified depending on who's holding it now it's a very powerful tool Okay. Yes. Is it like putting nuclear codes in the hands of everyone? I don't know, <laughs> you know, but that's something that I'm hoping they're mitigating for. Yeah. yeah I think at the heart of it, I think people are good. Yeah. And, and even the people who aren't so good, they just got off their path, but they can be brought back. Yeah, yes. I think you're right. Yes. And I, I think you have to live like that or else you become suspicious and cynical and... <sighs> I'm, I know some I people like that. that. I don't want to be down that path. No. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this has been fun. Yes, it it's has. Really been fun. It has been. I'm glad we're doing and, this. And man, we talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we went all over the map. This is what you call a walk and talk. I know. I know. Oh, man. I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Me too. Thank you. And we'll do it again. Definitely. Even without mics. You've been listening to the Catching Up Podcast with me, James Pikeway and Maha Al-Khalawi. <laughs>